Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Morning. Morning. Good morning, Holly. How are you? Well, I'm good. Um, I'll just pose a little um, warning that there might be some dog barking in the background during this episode. We'll see. <laughs> well, people may not know that you just got a new dog. I do. I have a new puppy and she's adorable and a little fluff ball, but you know, she's a puppy. <laughs> so... Here we are. I just finished reading uh, yesterday probably one of the best novels I've read in years. What's the novel? It's, uh, uh-huh. it's by Frederick Buckman, um, the man who wrote A Man Called Ovi. Frederick this book is called, uh-huh. This book is called Us Versus You. And oh, the character development is great. The dialogue is great. And so yeah. I wanted to see what else. He has written, I've read almost everything he's done, and um, I found that he has a book called Advice to My Son, mm-hmm. and so I downloaded that, I started reading it last night, and it's so precious, mm-hmm. it's so cute, it's about, have you read it? Mm-hmm. I've read and everything it, but Anxious People, I haven't read Anxious People yet. Well, that's wonderful too, mm-hmm. and um as you know, the first chapter of that book is about poop. Uh, anxious people? No. Oh, the letter to advice, advice to my son. Yes. <laughs> so I was thinking about, oh, you've got this to go through with your puppy, to train your puppy yeah. to do his business outside. Yeah, yep, it's a process. <laughs> For so, sure. So, Holly, we have a dilemma. Uh-huh. And that is, how are we going to parse down the amount of material that is available to us on the prodigal son? I started, um, I've got two really, really scholarly books on the parables. Brandon Scott's book, which is uh, Brandon Scott's a member of the Jesus Seminar. And his book is called Here Now the Parable. And it's a big, thick tome. It's really good. And then there's another book called Stories with Intent, which is also an incredibly scholarly, looks at the way the parables have been interpreted over the centuries and the role that they played and, and all of this sort of stuff. There have been hundreds, if not thousands of books written on the parables. Yes. A lot. And many, many, many ways of talking about communicating, interpreting, visualizing, dramatizing the parable of the prodigal son we could spend a year on this yeah we could and we just might watch out people it could be another gospel of thomas moment um (laughs) but you know it's as i've been thinking about that too because i keep kind of um widening my lens and going and uh looking at art critiques of the prodigal son and, and then finding other artworks about the prodigal son and reading those critiques. So I'm kind of going down this other path of the visuals 
And, um, and every time I widen my lens, I go, Oh, Holly, you have to come back in, like, just stick to this one <laughs> because it, it, there is so much. Um, and I suppose that the reason there's one of the reasons there's so much is because parables are, as you say, truer than true. And right. so there's and so, yeah, there's so many ways that they touch the people yeah. that experience them. One of the commentators that I read just today says the parable of the, of the prodigal son is a parable about death. Wow, yeah. I can totally see that too. The yeah. younger son came to realize that he was dead. Mm -hmm. In order to let him go, the father had to die, metaphorically mm -hmm. speaking, mm -hmm. to be dead. Mm -hmm. And the elder son refused to die. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't join the celebration. So the way that we even cope with this very natural, and so if we want to take it literal for a second, death is part of life, right? Death is part uh, of life. It mirrors and, and these it, ways that we cope with it. it it's yeah. also a huge theme in Meister Eckhart's writings mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that there's the, the path of descent, the path of letting go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jesus himself said, in order to have life, you have to be willing to relinquish it and over and over and that there's a lot about what this parable is about yeah and um and then just you know those the life stages both literally and figuratively life stages as we age and life stages as we grow in awareness too and you know we hope that as we become older we become wiser that's one of the one of the goals right <laughs> but it's um i you know i i love just that focus on death itself and you know you you said that you were keeping a document going about yes. the prodigal son and i do that too in my writing i have mm -hmm. um these programs that i use to gather material and fuss over it and muse over it and all that sort of stuff yeah and and one of my musings is that this parable is a wonderful opportunity from a psychological point of view to look at family organization of uh, birth order uh-huh and uh, authority, focus, all that sort of stuff. The second, the second born in a family is usually focused on mother. On mother, you said. On mother. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that you want to do at some point is to deal with the character characters that are not mentioned explicitly yeah. in the parable, <laughs> and that's one of them. Yes. Yeah. This is and oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, these dimensions are so wide and vast. In fact, the poem that I found or found me, uh, it could, goes both ways. Maybe I guess when you enter a particular search into Google and then you find it, it it's a mutual finding. <laughs> um, but I wondered when I was sort of reading through some of this, if my one of my favorite poets, Padre Gotuma, had ever written or read a poem about the prodigal son. And so I typed in, Prodigal son, Padre Gautuma, who is an Irish Catholic poet, uh, gay man. He knows what it's like to be to, to, leave, to be forced to leave home, if you will. The church was a home for him, and then it did not support him in his time of, of grappling. So he, re he re reads this poem, and you listen to On Being sometimes, or you uh, are familiar with it, and they have a poetry mm -hmm. podcast. 
And he reads this poem by Alison Funk. I'm going to share it with you. And it's from the perspective, well, let me just read it. The prodigal's mother speaks to God. When he returned a second time, the straps of his sandals broken, his robe stained with wine, it was not as easy to forgive. By then his father was long gone himself, leaving me with my other son, the sullen one, whose anger is the instrument he tunes from good morning on. I know there's no room for a man in the womb, but when I saw my youngest coming from far off, so small he seemed, a kid unsteady on his legs. She goat, what will you do? I thought, remembering when he learned to walk. Shapeshifter, it's like looking through water. The heat bends, it blurs everything. Brush, precipice, a shambles between us. Wow. Who wrote that? Alison Funk, female poet. That's very good. Yeah. And to use our active imagination in this parable, we must both go deep inside of it as well as beyond it. You know, mentioning that this parable and the, the artwork made about it is a snapshot, a single moment. And we presume that there's this whole before and after that happens too. So I love this kind of active imagination around well, what happens next. And the mother's pain at having lost him and her confusion and not being sure whether she can forgive the hurt a second time, but finding that tender spot in herself where she imagines him as a baby, just learning to walk. You know, I always think about that. Like there are certain people in this world that can be really hard to find spaces of compassion from, for, for, and the way they lead, the way they serve themselves. And when I find myself in the older son moment of judging and bad mouthing and anger, I try to imagine that person as a baby and just go, this child too needed to learn to walk or needed to be held. It's not always easy. <laughs> I read um, in the commentaries that I looked at that there's, this, there's been this huge temptation over the centuries to read into this parable the church's current theology. Hmm, interesting. So that at a time when, for example, it was believed that everybody had to have a personal savior, people were cast as the prodigals with the plea to come home. There's some gospel hymns that are cast in that direction. Jesus is tenderly waiting for you to come home, waiting and watching. Uh, come home, O sinner, come home. And um, I think that that the discipline that we have to keep in mind is not allowing the parable to say something it didn't want to say in the beginning. Now, I, I do think that we can interpret it and read into it and acknowledge a lot of our own projections uh, that are at work. And when we do that, I think we ought to be upfront about that and say, this is, this is what's going on. But 
trying to get into the mind of the storyteller, the one who first told the story, what did he intend yeah. for the hearer to hear? Yeah. Yeah. Now, in the two parables that accompany this, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, the sheep is depicted in the ancient world as being about as dumb a critter as you could have. And the coin did nothing to get found. But in this story, and this week we're going to focus on the younger son, I believe. Mm-hmm. The younger son had to have a reckoning, a self-reckoning. He he had to, as the language has it, come to himself. Yeah. And um, I think that's, that may be the hardest thing of all for us to do. And it's an ongoing thing. I ended Sunday by saying that we have this task to, to, to come to the self and the rejection of the true self is probably the major, major flaw of what goes on in most religion. And uh, one of the people who was in attendance on Sunday came up to me afterwards and said, returning to myself is something that I do countless times a day and I hope to be able to be conscious enough to do it right up to my last breath yeah that's you know I I think the same person who said that to you said something similar to me afterward and it reminded me of um, maybe the best piece of advice I've ever gotten about marriage (laughs) this is same same different but it was every day you wake up and again, you say, I do like every day you choose to just say, yes, I'm going to be in this one too. I mean, like there's all kinds of caveats we can put around that. If it's abusive, if it's, you know, codependent, if it's, right, right. you know, but, but in, in, in the well, in the scope of well being of a marriage, every day you wake up and say yes to that person, mm-hmm. to the, your children, to, to life. Right. And, and saying yes is, as you put it in the intro, foolish sometimes. You know, we say yes, even though sometimes the circumstances are wildly against us mm-hmm. <laughs> or seem absurd or seem impossible. We say yes. Uh, I thought of that, um, you know. I I haven't written this part yet, but, and I don't know that I will. Um, The way my mind works is that I will, you know, reflect on something for a long time and then I'll just wait and see what, what comes up. I have a whole playlist that I created uh, that I call Muse Music and I listen to it and I just, um, I have this experience. I gotta hope this is not as egotistical or narcissistic as it could sound. But I, I have this dear friend whom you know, Rob Landis, who is a wonderful musician, outstanding musician. And I love to see Rob play the piano. He doesn't look at any music. He just sits at the piano and he says the music just flows through him and out of his fingers. And that's the way 
when I'm in the groove. That's the way my writing is. And and so I sat down and, and the, what came to me is what fools all three people in this care in this parable are. Mm-hmm. They're fools. And then, you know, you you've got Paul's admonition to be a fool for Christ's sake. And uh the holy fools. That was the whole school of people. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna talk about those. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, and I mentioned that I kept thinking of the song, uh, fool for love. <laughs> and that's essentially what I think we're talking about without saying fool love in the story, but it, but it is being a fool for love. And, um, you know, <laughs> thinking about this, like love is what makes us do things like get people's names tattooed on our bodies and, um, <laughs> you know, and do wild and crazy things like get married and have children, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and make a life. Um, and, and I really do firmly believe I'll be, although sometimes it's really hard to believe it, that love is the single greatest ingredient to changing the world. Yeah. Um, it's hard to maintain uh, that positivity sometime. I had a Pilates instructor once and, uh, while we were, while she was training me, I looked down at her arm and she had written tattooed on her arm on the inside. I love you. And I said, tell me about your tattoo. And she said, that's my husband's handwriting. Oh, and I, I said, that. you know, and I said, you know, I said, you know, that means you can never get divorced. And she said, that's the point. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the hope, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, gosh, it's, I asked a friend who also was a Div student. He just finished maybe in, I don't remember, last May. But I said, what, what's your take on the prodigal son? And he, all his, his only response was, greatest love story ever. <laughs> and, you know, I, I hope that that is sort of the point that we get across, that yes, this is a great love story. And it's not just about the love story between three people, but it's about the love story with the self and the love story with even a community. I mean, we think about the community. I, I like the word container that this work, as you say, is solitary. And this work is um, definitely an individual journey but we need a container. We need a community, a safety place to come home to. Very few people are able to make this journey without support, without the deep support of a close friend, a deep support of family, deep support of a community. And I want to kind of train us, be in conditioning for creating a community that can contain this kind of return, this kind of love, you know? Well, I don't think that the community aspect of it has been emphasized nearly enough in the white male folk religion that most of us have inherited. Uh, I want to amplify on what you're talking about uh, a bit. Thomas Merton was really clear that the discovery of the true self was the discovery of God. Now, Merton used a different language. Merton had a different understanding of cosmology. But 
And this is, this is one of the paradoxes and contradictions that we're going to have to lift up for people. We don't return to God because we've never been separate from whatever that energy mystery is we call God. Yeah. I think it's in a matter of awareness. That an awareness of, of, of living our lives in the context of this sacred mystery. I have a friend mm -hmm. that I have known since 1966. He is now 90 years old. Mm. He is a theologian. He is a philosopher. And he is a poet. Mm. And he shares some of his stuff with me. And I want to read to you something that he wrote and sent to me this past week. Mm. It's called The Mysteries of Life. Mm. Seeing is not believing, but believing is seeing. Being is not knowing, but knowing is being. What can be seen can be had, but what can be had cannot be loved. What can be loved cannot be seen, but what cannot be seen is all there is. Truth is not something to be gotten. It's something to be gotten by. Truth is not something to be found. It's something to be found by. Mm. But the deeper truth is, truth is not something. Living is not living, and dying is not dying. But living is dying, and dying is living. Mm. I love that. It's very circular. Reminds me of the idea of the cosmic Ouroboros, the snake yeah. that eats its tail and exponentially, you know, that from the tail to the mouth, the, the increase in size of the snake itself gets from, goes from slim to larger. So that sort of, it symbolizes growth. It symbolizes the, the ongoing cycle of life and death and rebirth, life and death and rebirth and I think the image of, and actually more than circular, I should say, it's like a spiral. And I think that the spiral to me is probably one of the most powerful geometries or geometric forms I can think of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as you say, that's the shape of growth too, the, the going deep down into the dark, coming back up into the light going back down into the dark. I mean, this cyclical process of life and each time maybe that it gets wider between the dark and the light, but it also somehow miraculously gets closer because we have more tools for recovery. We have more tools for resiliency and for coming home. <laughs> and I don't think that this coming home is a one-time thing, but I read something really, really wonderful in um, Spong's book, um, the, the fourth gospel and he wrote about the idea of being born again. Have, have, you, have you gotten there yet? Um, this idea mm -hmm. of being born again, and he talks about the kingdom of God versus the realm of God, and that the kingdom is a place, whereas the realm is an experience. That being born again is not a conversion in a moment, uh, but it's also an experience. And then he goes on to say, but let me say that being born again, if we do that too much, we never grow up. Meaning that sort of what we've come to let being born again means in the Christian church is kind of a like laying it at Jesus's feet. I lay my sins at Jesus's feet. I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I've been born again. And if we do that countless times as a follower of Jesus, 
we're never challenging ourselves to grow up. Right. I think that's a very important point to make. And mm-hmm. uh, I just made a note that I want to refer to Armiraku's work on adult faith yeah. and on when the disciple arrives, mm-hmm. appears, mm-hmm. Um, because the whole emphasis on being born again is um, from the male white folk religion point of view, it, the intent is to keep you dependent. Yeah, that's right. And to, and to control. Yeah. And that's not what the faith of Jesus is all about at yeah. all. So yeah. that's a good point that we bring that up. And, you know, um, I will bring in, uh, as I have from time to time, Sandra Mitri's invaluable contribution in writing on the spiritual dimension of the Enneagram. There is that chapter that I put on the Ordinary Life website under resources called The Fall. And I highly recommend that people read that because in the process of growing up and surviving, we inevitably, all of us, fall away from our true selves. It is a part of the human growth process. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's not an indication of original sin, not an indication that something's wrong with you or that you've done something bad or wrong. In order to become an aware functioning human being in the world, there are some things you have to put out of your awareness and out of your consciousness so that you can survive. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when I think about people who live in war-torn countries and children uh, who are just daily struggling to keep alive, they don't have the luxury of doing the kind of work that we're talking about doing. And I want to keep that in mind as well. Yeah. But. At any rate, if the prodigal had never left home, he could have never returned. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's kind of, you know, it reminds me of that sort of Buddhist saying that like the, the number of times you get distracted during breath work or meditation is the number of times you get to return. Right. And, and, and I think that it also reminds me of Jim Finley. I mean, all of the things that sort of like the, the beauty of that moment of, yes, if we don't fall away, this falling away sets the stage for the return. And the return is a choice because there are people who choose not to return to the self, to come home, you know? And I think about my own particular journey as a young adult, you know, I, that's a time of deep questioning, individuation, um, grief in some ways, because you're learning that the people who have raised you or taken care of you aren't always going to be there in the same way, or they fall off their pedestal, however this happens. And it's, it's a really confusing time. Mm-hmm. And I want, you know, I think of that as the younger son kind of coming home with some humility, but choosing to say, you're right, dad, I kind of didn't have it all figured out. <laughs> you know, I, I, I need some help. And the hope is that we have wisdom teachers like you, we have wisdom elders, wise elders who can help us again, be that container, not tell Mm -hmm. us what to do or, you know, give us a job all the time, but just be the container that says, I'm here for you. I'll just help you. I, I, 
I've said about you actually, even in, you know, I'll just share personally that you and I've done some one-on-one work and that is how we, over the years, one of the ways we've gotten to know one another. And I always have said about you that your greatest skill is handing people back to themselves. Mm, Thank you. I think that's a really great skill as a, as a therapist to be able to say, Mm -hmm. how can I create the space to help you come home to yourself? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's the job of the elder in the painting and in the story too. You know, I have been um, doing some exploration into some of the other writings of Henri Nouwen because we're using his book as kind of a thing to push against or push from, build on. And um, doing these talks, because I, I want to I keep saying again and again that one of the reasons I wanted to do this parable before we do the deep dive into John and to keep the Pantocrator icon in front of us is because they are visual ways of communicating non-duality and non-duality I don't think can be can be communicated verbally that's right so every time we try to put these things into words on some level we're We're, failing (laughs) bound to fail yeah and I said Sunday that non-duality communicates itself that wasn't in the text but I got that directly from Jim Finley uh, who said when he was writing uh, his um, biography of Merton called Merton's Palace of Nowhere, he got to the chapter <clears throat> where he wanted to write about non-duality, and he just had failure after failure after failure, and he finally talked to someone. I don't remember now who it was. I've got it in my notes somewhere else. Uh, and the person said to him, said, Jim, you can't communicate non-duality. It mm-hmm. communicates itself. Mm-hmm. And I think it communicates itself in, like the poem I, I read by my friend Bruce Evans, I think it communicates itself in icons, in music, in paintings. Um, it's what the artist does. Yeah. And, and ironically, even though you and I say it can't be done in words, Jesus did it. Other teachers have done it too, because he told these stories that, that, catch you up in these impossible double binds. Yeah. Like the two men who went up to the temple to pray. One said, I thank God that I'm not like this poor bum over here. And the poor bum says, God have mercy on me. And the minute you identify with either one of these guys, you're you're trapped. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that the same thing is true in a parable. It makes your brain sore trying to figure (laughs) out. Figure out, okay, but there's value in being exposed to the story over and over and um, deepening every time, every time we get to do spiritual work. Yeah. We get a chance to go further out and deeper in. Yes. And it's always new in that regard. Absolutely. And at different, and as you know, as we even talk about it being related to life stages and spiritual stages, we're going to relate to each of these characters, if you will, differently at different times. And that is, that's the beauty of growth. And that's the beauty of staying with ritual with a daily spiritual practice. And our daily spiritual practice can be the same thing for a very long time. And we can get something new out of it every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to talk about 
start by talking about pools and then focus on the sun. And we're going to try our best to discipline ourselves <laughs> to finish this series on the prodigal son by 2023. <laughs> <laughs> How about if we stay absolutely no more than five weeks? Okay. I don't think we do it in three. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, because we leave a lot unsaid. Well, yeah, and that's the poetry of it. We will inevitably leave a lot unsaid. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for today, Bill. Well, you're welcome. And I hope you enjoy training your puppy. I, I know. Think you're... All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.